There we go. <laughs> good to see all of you here. Uh, good to have people back that haven't been here, recovering. Um, I know that Felicia's brother, stepbrother passed away. And Laura's dad is in his last days. So let, let me pray for some of these matters. Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness to us. But we know that this world is, isn't forever. And there's sickness and death. Lord, we do pray for Martha. And pray that you would continue to help her. Thank you for the care that she's getting May you work out everything that needs to be done for her. Thank you for John and Phyllis being able to make it back and be with us again. Thank you for healing them and helping them. Pray your continued blessing. Lord, we pray for Felicia's brother. or Well, we pray for that situation, Lord. Her brother passed away. We pray for the family. Pray that there would be comfort and healing. Uh, in that loss. And Father, pray for Laura's dad, who is in his last days, and pray, Lord, that you would clear his mind and help him to think of you and to solidify his relationship with you. Father, we now pray that you'd open our eyes to your word and all that you have for us in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've been celebrating the birth of Jesus over these last several weeks, looking into the Gospel of Luke for his account. And what an incredible series of events that Luke has brought before us to show us what God did to bring about the birth of Jesus. You know, we saw how God orchestrated countless factors through history, through time, through people, through circumstances, through people of authority in order to send his only begotten son to the earth to enter into humanity so that he could offer God's salvation through himself for the forgiveness of sins and for eternal life, for all who will come to repentance. It's there for anyone who will come to repentance, no matter what they've done, no matter how long it's been since they've even thought of God, it's there. And this morning we're going to end our series on, on this birth of Christ, but actually it's not going to be about his birth. This is going to be an incident that took place in the last days of Jesus' childhood. And as we look at this last recorded event from Jesus' childhood, you may wonder at first as you're reading through it, why would Luke include this incident in his gospel account of Jesus? And at first glance, it may seem like it's kind of an isolated incident that doesn't have a lot to do with everything we've been talking about or going to talk about. But if we look into it and understand it along with its context, we will see that it is uh, not an isolated event, but it's very telling about who Jesus Christ is and, in the, and who he is in the plan of God. So we're going to be at the end of chapter 2 of Luke. 
And looking into a time when Joseph and Mary attended the Jewish feast of Passover, which they did yearly. So we're going to be in chapter 2 of Luke and starting with verses 41 through 44. Luke chapter 2, 41 through 44. It says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And of course, Passover is celebrating when God freed Israel, his, his chosen people, out of Egyptian slavery. Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, some may think from this, well, how could they lose their son? But I just want to put a little light on this uh, incident. You know, Jerusalem was approximately 80 miles from Nazareth. So it was a, an 80-mile trip. And when they took trips like this, especially for big festivals like this, the families of the same community would make a caravan. And they would go. And part of it was for protection. You know, if something happened on the road, sometimes there were robbers waiting on some of those roads. The trip would take three to four days. So when Joseph and Mary didn't know that, jo that Jesus was with them, you know, it says that they went looking among relatives and friends. You know, probably they did this every year and Jesus could hang out with, you know, relatives or friends and probably the children did that, maybe hung out together on their trip. So it's when they get... Uh, they traveled for a day, and at the end of the day, they would start reconvening families in order to, you know, bed down at night on their way, and Jesus did not show up. And so they start looking, it says, among their relatives and friends. Now look at verses 45 through 47. When they did not find him... They went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. It says, after three days, they found him, and, and most scholars think that means they traveled one day towards Nazareth, found out he wasn't with them. Then they traveled one day back and spent a day looking for him in Jerusalem. The second day traveling back towards Jerusalem, and the third, the third day in, in Jerusalem would probably just, could have been just part of the day. But lo and behold, they find him in the temple courts among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. A 12-year-old. Everyone there was amazed, not only that he was interested, but at the depth of his questions and his understanding and the answers he was giving them. 
So what we see here is a 12-year-old boy with a strong thirst for understanding of spiritual truths. A 12-year-old boy with a deep interest in the things of God. And his wisdom and his insight had these teachers looking at each other like, wow, where did he come from? Now, these people are amazed. Let's look and see what Joseph and Mary, how they respond. When his parents saw him, verse 48, they were astonished. Now, that's a different word than amazed. (laughs) His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. This is a different reaction than the teachers of the law were giving to Jesus. They were amazed at his wisdom, but his parents were astonished at what they found him doing and where they found him. It's like, this is where you have been all this time. We were worried that you may have been hurt or injured or kidnapped. Why didn't you tell us? How could you treat us like this? Son, why have you treated us like this? You know, in Mary's mind, Jesus acted thoughtlessly. How could he even think of staying behind while the caravan was leaving? That's, you know, a parent's thought. He had to know that the staying behind would worry them or even make them sick, uh, scare them out of their wits. So how could Jesus do this to them? Now, this may present somewhat of a problem for us who believe that Jesus is the sinless Son of God. Was this a thoughtless act on Jesus' part? Was it an example of uncaring? Can we even say it was selfish? And then why did Luke include this in his account of Jesus and Jesus' childhood? You know, it's not in any other gospel. What does it prove? Well, on the positive side, it does show Jesus deeply interested in the things of God at a young age. It shows him as a standout youth who really has a strong interest in knowing about God. It shows him strongly drawn to the truths of the scriptures. It shows how his understanding and insight has everyone amazed. So we have some very strong, positive points concerning our Savior, even from his boyhood. But then what about Mary's accusation that he has treated his parents badly? The end of this verse. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Mary is basically asking Jesus, what were you thinking or not thinking? Now, this seems to put us on the horns of a dilemma. On the one hand... You have Jesus at this young age drawn to the scriptures, desirous, strongly desirous to know more about God, 
displaying wisdom and insight and a love for God that's just so unusual, especially for someone his age. But on the other hand, how could he do this? How could he do this to his parents who'd been given the task or the mission of protecting him and helping him and, and helping him grow up? Well, thankfully, the answer is in our next two verses, verses 49 and 50. Jesus says, Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, not only were Joseph and Mary dumbfounded by Jesus choosing to stay behind, but in a sense, Jesus himself was dumbfounded that they would even have to ask him why he was in the temple, why he stayed in Jerusalem. Joseph and Mary were thinking, how could you stay back in Jerusalem when you knew that we were returning home? While Jesus was thinking in his 12-year-old mind, how could you not know that I needed to be in my father's house? Why did you even have to wonder where I was? Why did you have to search? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So in reality, Jesus' intentions were not selfish or thoughtless or uncaring. He was a 12-year-old with this deep hunger to learn about God and the scriptures. He knew at this time that God was his father and that he was on earth to do the will of the father. And he had a strong yearning to do what he was sent to do. And all through his earthly life, Jesus showed an intense desire. Even Laura even mentioned it this morning. Jesus showed an intense desire to do the will of the Father. And you can tell by reading the Gospels how much Jesus loved his Father. And how much he wanted to uphold his name. Now here's a point of interest in this interchange between Jesus and his parents. In verse four, the end of verse 48, we already read it, but Mary says, Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then at the end of 49, and of course when, when Mary says this, she's saying, she's talking about Joseph, right? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. But at the end of 49, in Jesus' answer, he says, Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Both Mary and, and Jesus mention Jesus' father, but they're not talking about the same person, are they? Because both Joseph and God are his fathers. Joseph was an earthly father appointed by God to help raise and protect Jesus. But we know that Joseph and Jesus had no <clears throat> physical father-son connection. Jesus was born of a virgin. And God the Father, who does have a father-son connection through the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, he is his father in nature. Now you can imagine that Jesus having both an earthly father 
and the Heavenly Father could lead to some confusion, misunderstandings, like the one we're just reading about. You know, Joseph and Mary fully expected Jesus to return with them, and that was a natural expectation. I mean, why would they even think that Jesus would stay there at 12 years old? They didn't even dream he would. And they went up every year. Yet Jesus, as he is becoming more knowledgeable, growing in his understanding of who he is and what he is sent to do, Jesus is starting to mature in his understanding of who he is. And in his mind, it's beginning to transition into the Son of God come to do the will of the Father. And you know, I can't pin days or weeks on this, but <clears throat> we're just seeing this, this movement taking place. And that is why I believe that Luke put this in his gospel account. It's showing how the son of Mary and Joseph is now beginning to transition into the son of God. Not, I mean, he always was the son of God. And he was the son of Mary and Joseph. But, you know, he's been living this very earthly life. And now he's starting to think of his mission that God has given him as the son of God. But then in verse 50, which we've already seen, it says, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, Joseph and Mary both knew that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and was the Son of the Most High. You know, the angel told them that. They knew he would become great one day, and that one day he would receive the throne of his father David. That was told to them by the angel. They knew that he would have a kingdom that would never end, that he was Israel's Messiah, long-awaited, but there was so much more about Jesus' life that they did not know. When would all of this happen? How would it happen? What were they to do? What would Jesus become? Would he become a warrior? Would he lead the troops? And what about him wanting to stay in Jerusalem at 12 years of age? What do we do about that? So, you know, even though they had, some, they had known some things about their child, even before he was born, there was still so much they didn't know about the process and how it would happen and who would be there and who would it involve. And, you know, as you move further into the gospel accounts, <clears throat> there are other instances of confusion that have to do with Jesus having a heavenly father and having a earth, an earthly family. And there were times when Jesus had to tell his earthly family that they had to move aside because he's doing the Father's mission. And it does cause some conflict. Which really, when you see those instances, I, I'll just name a couple, but the, at the wedding in Cana, Mary wants him to... <laughs> He's acting, acting like his grandpa. Uh, at the wedding of Cana,
All right, three of you go this way, and three of you go this way. All right. <laughs> Just for an example, at the wedding in Cana, you know, the couple, they run out of wine, which could have been a very, well, which was a very serious uh, problem in those days. <clears throat> and Mary turns to Jesus and says, they're out of wine. And Jesus says to her, what does this thing have to do between you and me? And really what he's saying to her is, but what Mary wants is she wants him to do this miracle so that everybody knows, okay, this is the Messiah. She wasn't pregnant out of wedlock, you know, that type of thing. Uh, she would be vindicated. Well, Jesus says, so she's basically saying, I want you to show yourself to who you really are to these people. And Jesus is saying, Mother... What has this got to do? He says, woman, what has this got to do between you as my earthly mother and me as the Messiah? That's really what he's saying. And that happens in a few places throughout the gospel. But in, in the wedding of Cana, he does go back and change the water to wine, but it's, it's not in front of the whole crowd where everybody sees who he is. It's uh, his disciples the Bible says his disciples believed in him. So we have these problems where the earthly family kind of uh, has to be pushed back a little bit for Jesus to respect his father and what he wants him to do. Which really backs the Bible's claim that Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but yet a human being at the same time. Now, most people outside the church don't really believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. But the Bible absolutely attests to it clearly. And things happen in the Bible records that line up with that belief. And you know, we've said it before, that the way that God brought Jesus into the world is the only way that he could have given salvation to us. There had to be a sacrifice for sin. That's what most people don't understand. That sin is only atoned for through a sacrifice. But it had to be a sinless sacrifice. And it had to be a sacrifice given by a human because it was for human beings. So Jesus was and is the sinless Son of God who became the sinless sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And he was a human being through Mary, which he had to be in order to die in our place for humanity. So now we finish our time here with the last two verses of 51, of chapter 2, 51 and 52. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. 
So, here is 12-year-old Jesus. He still has a lot of growing up to do, a lot of learning to do. With a mind that is maturing. You know, at 13, they would do that bar mitzvah, where they would be legally thought of as an adult. And so he's 12, so it's showing that this is just right before he takes that step in the Jewish faith. His understanding is deepening. You know, it says here he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. His holy desires are growing. He is a human born of a virgin woman. But he is, of course, the very son of God, with the nature of God, the nature of both humanity and of God. And there are going to be things that happen in his mind and in his life that will be totally unique to him alone. And it says here that he did increase in wisdom and stature. He was not born with fully developed uh, heavenly wisdom or a fully developed mind of God. And thus we have the misunderstandings between him and his earthly parents. But we see that Jesus returns to Nazareth with Joseph and Mary and is obedient to them. And then we know also that he doesn't begin his public ministry until around age 30. So here he goes back to his home and he doesn't really leave his home until age 30. So he has all this time to be obedient and help his family and mature. And Mary, for her part, she says, treasures all these things in her heart. She knows she doesn't have all the answers. She just has to trust in the goodness of God. And then one nice thing for Mary, seeing as Simeon said, and a soul will pierce your own, I mean, a sword will pierce your own soul also. She, she knows, well, she has some kind of inclination that there is a sword coming. At least she has these years from 12 to 30 to see Jesus growing up in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So, what we have here, what Luke has given us, is a picture of how things can get a little, just a little bit um, confusing between Jesus' nature. And if it, if it never did, you would have to wonder about it. Because here's someone walking around that is the, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, only person ever in the world throughout history ever to be this, operating in a human family, doing very human things, but yet having the mind of God and growing in the mind of God. And so you know there's going to be some things that, that happen that just are hard to explain. But that's what God did for us. He sent his only son, his eternal son, but had him come down and become a human so that he could die for us humans and that he could take on the sins of the world. And that's how I know that God loves us no matter what I see happening out in the world that, look, that looks funny and people think, well, how could God do this? 
I don't know how to answer every one of those questions, but I know that God loves us enough to have a son become a human and die on the cross and be beaten, bloodied, and murdered for our sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how much it has for us. We thank you for your love and how much you've expressed it to us in, in such strong ways. And we ask for your wisdom when we run into things we can't understand. And we ask for extra faith for times that uh, just seem so inexplainable. So, Father, we, we commit ourselves to you, to following you, to trusting in you, even past, even during things that we can't explain and helping others to come to know you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.